Welcome to Adventures in Business. This is a show where we have thought-provoking conversations with founders, CEOs, and business leaders of various industries to learn about their stumps, falls, trials, tribulations, and successes on how they manage the current business environment. Join our hosts, Mandy Graziano and Amani Roberts, as we chat with our next guest. That is challenging that we are not, you know, given given a lot of resources on. And so now I get to still, I get to, you know, do this work that I love, but it's a lot within the, the hospitality community. Interesting. Okay. Um, what do you like the most about your current kind of role, what you do now, and how has your previous experience helped you really excel in your current job? So now I'm a business owner um, in the work that I do, right? In the work that I do. Welcome, yeah, welcome to the I'm club. Affiliated. Yeah. <laughs> I'm affiliated somewhere with a firm, but but I am, I am marketing, I am operations, I am sales, I am all of those things. So having that freedom is amazing, but with freedom comes great responsibility. I know both of you can relate to that. So how do you make it all work? How do you fit a lot into one day? How do you, you know, still have a life out? If, if you have time for that, how do you have a life outside of those things? And when you work in hospitality, you learn to, to make that work, right? When you've got tight turns, when you've got, you know, urgent RFPs, when you're trying to see eight hotels in one day, all of those things, all of those skills in making a square peg fit in a round hole, all of that I get to use in, in sort of assembling um, Tetris puzzles with my new work. <laughs> it is Tetris. I want to I want to go back to you know you just talked about how you want to help women. You've always helped women. You've mm -hmm. always lifted women up. I want to talk about in your current role, right? In your in your current role as a wealth advisor and as a business owner. What are you seeing as the challenges women are facing or what are some things that are coming up for women? And we're in the middle of Women's History Month, right? So, and, and we've got an all women cast for all of February, which I know your philosophy. I know we should be celebrating women every day and I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but if there's a month where we can amplify women because more people are listening, I'm going to take mm -hmm. advantage of all those ears, right? So like, what are women going through in the financial, in your financial experience? And, and how can we all advocate and better lift women up through the financial experience? Yeah. Well, the, the, the good thing is that this, this whole topic about women and their finances is becoming more prevalent with, with different organizations, right? Organizations like chief um, organizations just within within hospitality where people are saying, you know what, we need to pay attention to the nuances of, of you know, women's experience. So um, I'm, I've started calling myself the, the ERG whisperer because all during the pandemic, companies realized we need to support not just women, but but all the diverse groups within the workforce. So now they have employee resource groups where women can get together and celebrate being women, but they don't have a lot of resources. They're led by volunteers. So I'm trying to provide them with free education, free resources, because the three things, in my opinion, that are that are challenging here are women are living longer, women are earning less, women become caretakers of everyone in the family, whether that's children, parents, siblings. So we stretch a dollar very differently. And that isn't talked about a whole lot because 
when I live to 110, it's just going to be different for me than it is for, for other people. So what do like when you see people interacting with their ERGs? So for anybody listening that doesn't know ERGs an employee resource group, what, mm -hmm. how do women get involved with that? Like, are there women out there that are like, oh, I didn't even know my company had a group like this. Like, how are women learning about an ERG within their company or what yeah. questions can they ask different people about ERG, their, their personal ERG within their company? Start with your human resources department. They are usually not managing that, but they can direct you to someone who might be managing that group. There might also be someone who's the diversity, equity, inclusion person within a company. But most of the time, it's an association that is volunteer run. So it might be your friend who works in marketing, it might be your friend who works in operations, and they are facilitating sometimes monthly, quarterly meetings. A lot of people don't know they exist because they're not broadcast, because why would they? You're asking volunteers to coordinate with HR, to send out newsletters, to get, you know, so they're there, they're resources, but they're not, um, they're, they're not really touted well enough internally, I don't think. Okay, that's good. So just ask. Ask, and if you don't have one, start one, right? Just ask. Yeah, just, <laughs> just ask. But there are, there are often initiatives that, that, that those ERGs are trying to achieve, whether it's, you know, getting a certain number of women into leadership at that company or within that industry. You'll find that especially in places like tech, where the ratio of men to women is so different. And so in those spaces, that's absolutely where you're going to find robust ERGs where they're trying to not just make a change in the company, but really more of a big social change. Awesome. So in terms of kind of what we're allowed to ask, I'll ask a question. You can say, oh, we know we can't really ask about that. Just <laughs> ask, I don't know, but I, I want to know, and I'm sure a common question you do get is like over the pandemic, Many of us kind of really let out or used a lot of our savings. And in terms of building mm -hmm. wealth, what are some best practices that we can build it back up again? I love how scared Amani <laughs> is to ask the question. Amani, the SEC isn't going to burn your, it's not going to come knocking at your door with handcuffs. For backstory, and you know, for anyone who's watching right now, the industry I'm in, very heavily regulated. So I'm not trying to give advice that could be taken out of context here. But to answer your question, Amani, I think for, for a lot of people, it's just about having awareness about where things are going. A lot of us put our head in the sand. I'm, I'm existing. I'm paying my stuff. Like I'm, I'm living day to day. But um, it's about having a process and it's about having awareness. And most people don't have that. Um, my favorite favorite piece of advice is to uninstall apps with a buy now button. <laughs> Ooh, mm, like that. that's, that's a good one. one. Mm -hmm. oh, well, I want to, okay. can I do a follow up on that, Imani? Because, um, oh, of course. is there a delay? <laughs> okay. I'm like, I'm like, is there a delay? I feel like that. So Jessica, on that, because, because your industry is so heavily regulated, 
there's a lot of other industries, whether they are internally heavily regulated or externally heavily re regulated, they can't do any content curation. They can't do anything on social media or they can, but they have to do it within like super special confines. How do you manage to be a, an amazing content creator and still, you know, stick within the guidelines? And if anybody isn't following Jessica, follow her on all the channels because her content is awesome. It's a great Great follow, but how do you do that while in a really heavily regulated industry? And how do you give advice to other people in different industries on, on how to create their own brand and have their own content that way? I will say that I, in the beginning, outsourced. I went to someone who I saw had great content. He's actually from the hospitality industry. Calvin Taloki, also known as Rev Parblums on Instagram great, hilarious hospitality memes. I went to him and said, hey, you've got tens of thousands of followers. I would love to get some advice from you. I hired him as a consultant. He helped me to rebrand when I knew I was doing a career change. It was important for me to tell the story of leaving a career for 15 years and doing something different, why that was happening, and really telling that story in a, in a personal way and in a visual way. The way that I've kept that going is I don't try and overcomplicate things. I use this, you know, I use Canva for, for simple graphics. I'm consistent in my messaging. I try and talk about three things, being a mom, the work that I do, and the things that I do for fun, whether that's, you know, being, being a very silly, tall person, making terrible jokes, and just the things that I find funny. <laughs> so those are the three, three things that I focus on. It doesn't have to be something out of the box and super crazy, but it's consistency with anything. It's consistency, but that's the big one. I love that. It's and it shows. It shows on your on your social media. Yeah. It does. Um, how has because I have a lot of questions about your career, how it led you to this moment, like working for a destination and working for an airline. How did that prepare you for what you're doing now? When you are in any sales role, and I think Mandy has a, a great, uh, has a lot of resources about this in her book. Those are skills that you can use in a lot of different walks of life. Just general interpersonal skills, your clear communication, and when you're in the hospitality industry, you've got to get really good at those and honing those because there's a thousand hotels, there's a thousand airline seats. People are working with you because it's you. There's thousands of people who do what I do. There are thousands of, well, not thousands, maybe there's a lot of women who I do, who do what I do, um, but we all do it differently. And so really communicating, this is, this is what makes me unique and leveraging all those things that I learned from you know, doing, doing the grind and <laughs> hospitality for so long. It is a grind. It is for sure. Yes. Go ahead, Benny. I think mm -hmm. you had a follow-up. Oh, I was just going to ask getting people to give you money. Uh, you have to establish trust in any, in any industry, but getting them to give you money is a, how do you, how do you establish trust with people? I share with them the vulnerability of my own life, you know, and the, and the things that are keeping me up at night. And that's usually why I think 
people choose to work with me because it's the same challenges that they have. Um, because as you said, why would, why would someone trust me with what is usually the most intimate part of their life? You know, the, the, it's one of those things that you're not, you're told you're not supposed to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think getting vulnerable is really important. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I wonder, in addition to the, the leading the buy now button, that really, you know, how did you kind of come up with that advice? And like, what are some other simple tips like that? That's just, you know, because you got my mind thinking right away in terms of deleting yeah. some apps. What are some other simple tips that we share with people that can have a really big impact on kind of their wealth building, managing their finances, mm-hmm. things like that? The reason I came up with that one is because when I look through spending with people, most of it's going to the same places. You can look at the apps on your phone. You know what they are because it's so easy. You don't have to make that choice of, you know, I'm going to get in the car, drive to the place, buy the thing, pick out the one that I like. Anything that is um, automatic that makes your life easier is a great habit to get into, whether it's auto payments auto transfers to, you know, to a savings account or what have you, but getting those things set up, because if you have to have to make the extra effort, you're making it harder for yourself. You're not likely as likely to do it, whether it's, you're not likely as, not as likely to buy something and you're not as likely to save for yourself because you have to, you have to go through that effort. Amani, do you use the buy now? How often are you using the buy now button? Okay, so so you're. I'm thinking here, like the only really buy now button I use is like Amazon. That's like the big one right there. Is like Amazon. I'm thinking. Besides that, maybe every once in a while with like Twitch or whatever. But I kind of manage that. But it's like Amazon. Is that? Do you see a similarity when people like use Amazon a lot to buy stuff? That that's where they get into issues. It's different for everyone. I have clients who love shoes. For them, it's shoes. It's, it's, you know, I am not, I, I don't think it's anyone's job to tell you how to spend your money. It's to say, okay, if this is what you want to do, this is what it means for later. (laughs) Do you want gratification now? Do you want gratification later? That's your choice. Yeah, that's a good point. Like what, what kinds of conversations are you having with your kids? Right? Because I think like my, for me personally, I didn't like, I, I didn't have conversations about money yeah. growing up. I grew up, I grew up in a, you know, a, a middle-class middle to lower-class family in terms of financials. My dad was an elevator mechanic. They had four kids. Like money was a conversation for us. Like we were always worried about money. Right. So I knew when I grew up, like, I'm like, I just want to be not worry about money. That was the only thing, but I never had conversations with my parents. Like, I think people are talking to their kids in a younger way, but a mom as a wealth advisor, that's a whole other conversation. Like what conversations are you having with kids or how are you educating your kids early on about money? So one of the favorite questions I have to ask people is if we travel back in time, what did your family or parents teach you about money? Because most of them are not having those conversations. So in, in my house with my kids, I started very early. My kids are only five and two, almost five and two. 
but my son will ask for things when we're out at the store and I've had to explain if you want this thing, you've got to trade this other thing. That's how it works. If you want me to get it for you, that's a different story, right? If you want to get it for yourself, we'll count out the money that you've earned from whatever little chores you've done when we were doing potty training, right? He's got his stash. He has made purchases at Target. I almost cried. The first time he did it, he was so proud of himself. He was probably had just turned four. He wanted to buy something from the, you know, the dollar bin at Target. He counted out his little coins and he was like showing off to everyone. Like, I'm doing this. I am responsible for this. So it's having that conversation early on because kids see you swipe plastic. They don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. This plastic means that someone else is holding money that's mine. And I'm only spending it because I know someone else is holding it for me. Mm-hmm. That was a long yeah. answer. <laughs> no, but it's it's good. It's it's good because I don't think people think like, oh, kids see you swiping, but they don't know what that means. You, yeah. you can't put a dot. It's hard for kids to. I mean, their their brain isn't even developed enough to understand what that means. But to swap it out, that's great. I love yeah. that. That's a great yeah. tip. Keep yeah. it simple. Yeah. He understands sharing. He understands trading. I have this that someone is holding for me. I'm trading it, but I can't trade yeah. it until I have it. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. True. It's awesome. Yeah. Who, who do you read or follow to kind of keep up to date with what's going on in the financial kind of, I don't say a financial world, but like, so I think of two people that come to mind, like Dave Ramsey and then like Warren Buffett. So who do you read or who are you looking at? I see you kind of, you got some things to say so to share with us. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a slippery slope. My my belief is that there are a lot of smart people out there. There are a lot of great resources out there, but those things are not tailored to you and your life and your experience and your needs. So you might read something that a financial guru said, but it doesn't apply to your situation, but it looks good on paper. And that person says it makes sense. And maybe for them it does. And then if you try and replicate that, it explodes. So shameless plug, whether it's me or someone else, talk to someone who's a professional because advice in a vacuum, I see a lot on TikTok. I see a lot on Instagram. It's great for you to maybe educate yourself a little bit. It's not great for you to live your life by and apply those things without having some context. Mm. Okay. I kind of expected you to answer that question that way. So that's not a surprise there. You know, like I forget there's another guy at Ramen. I think it's his first name that has his book. Out. There's just lots of stuff out there. So you kind of read and you just, hmm, you're like, this is interesting, yeah. but maybe it doesn't apply to me. Um, mm-hmm. How how have you grown like your speaking and how has that complemented your kind of quest to build your practice? How does those, how are those two um, practices working together? I took a page from some other smart people I saw who were doing that, like Judy Holler, former MPI member and president, now incredible author, keynote speaker. I saw people like Mandy, write a book, go speak. <laughs> I see people like Amani, write a book, go on Twitch. 
So I saw <laughs> incredible book, incredible book. So I saw the value of those two things. I also realized that for me, my personal skill set is being able to translate messages in a large audience. That's not for everyone. There are people who have different skill sets. So that's what works for me. That's what I'm passionate about. So those two things really aligned. And it, it's been it's been great because those are those are two areas that I really am passionate about. When you when you think and then I'll go to you, Manny, next. But so when you think about like speaking, yeah. like where where do you want to take that? Because that's a really, really um, not everyone can be a speaker and it takes a lot of work and a lot of quote unquote grinding like we did in the hospitality world to get to the stage, many big stages. What are your goals for that part mm -hmm. of your practice? I have a goal for myself of how many speaking engagements I would like to do this year. I did about a dozen last year, which for my first year in my practice was incredible. I'd like to do 20 this year. Some of my meeting planner friends from my past life have asked me to come and speak at their conferences that they plan and, and prepare. Um, so it's it's been a nice blend there. But yeah, I think just increasing the number and increasing the impact because now that I've been able to do these with well-known companies and organizations, it helps me to, to really share that message and go to larger companies and say, Hey, there's, there's value here. This is who has found this valuable. This is what I'd like to bring to the table for you. Um, and your network is your net worth. It's having people who can make those introductions, who can support you and cheer you on and say, Hey, I know somebody who's, you know, and that happened, that happened with one of my clients from Sacramento, who's a meeting planner. And she said, my association is planning something in San Diego in the spring. I'd love for you to come and speak to our people. Physicians, amazing, sign me up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Go ahead, Manny, as I think about my follow-up to that one. <laughs> yeah, well, I love your network is your net worth. I, that's definitely gonna be a follow-up quote because that's, and I, I want us to like, sit with that for a minute because so many times people forget what you give is what you get. And I look at you as somebody who you give back, you know, whether it's in or out of the industry, you give back to women. And I'm sure that's a huge part of building your network too. Right. I mean, I'm, I, I'm guessing like you can't just keep taking, right. You like you you give and that helps probably exponentially build your network. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Okay. Can we, Oh, Oh, no, go. I think there's a delay on my end. You go, you go. What were you going to say? <laughs> I, I, this, this is something I think in, in any industry, you know, having the value of peer relationships as well as your client relationships, that's what helps to sustain you just in general, your, the way that you're relating to people and supporting other people. Totally. Okay. I want to go for a second now to talk about being an entrepreneur and being a business owner. So, I mean, I've always thought you are an entrepreneur. You're, even though you're within these huge companies, you always had an entrepreneurial spirit, but now it's not, you're on your own, right? So what are some of the greatest lessons early on when you started your business, when you were like, oh, all right, tripped, fall, bloody nose, it's not gonna do that again. What are some early business ownership lessons? Having realistic expectations of what your personal bandwidth is. And I mm. think that never ends when you're a business owner because you want to take on a lot. But 
learning to delegate because that's the only way you'll scale your business. Otherwise you will be the army of one forever and not trying to um, uh, reinvent the wheel with things that, that have been done well already. Asking the question of someone that you see that's doing it well and stealing shamelessly because it's working. Then you can tweak it, but at least you don't have to build the house from the ground up. Mm -hmm. Steal shamelessly. No, I love it. If, if we were going to follow up on the first one, we talked about <laughs> bandwidth. Can you share a story about how you learned that? And then just what was the really kind of the wake up call to make you be like, okay, this is something I need to kind of focus on. Yeah, I think starting this business, the beginning of last year, I was so excited to have a new challenge, to have this new baby, right? My third baby, <laughs> so that's my human children that I was going to focus on. And I was working insane hours, 12, 14, 16 hours a day for three or four months and realized this is enjoyable. This is not sustainable. This is the honeymoon phase of, yay, I have this, you know, this thing I'm building. And fortunately, someone else who was starting their practice at the same time, Matthew Feldman, absolutely love him. We became business partners and took the leap together to say, we want to hire staff because we cannot do this alone. There's not enough time in the day. And I will, at six months, burn myself out and be useless. So if I can make this less scary by sharing this new, you know, staff and, and scaling together, it's less scary, but there's no way I will be able to continue to do this if I don't have help. And that's hard. Asking for help, super hard, super hard. Yeah. And I think making that investment, because I know a lot of entrepreneurs, they, they don't want to make that investment with staff or administrative support. And when you look at mm -hmm. that little bit of investment that you're making and the amount of time that you're buying yourself back, that's huge. Um, so how was that transition for you of like, I can go at this alone and get and hoard all the money, right? Or I can invest in these other people and grow my business and actually, you know, be more productive and better. How was that transition? There are some clear, quantifiable ways that you can make that decision. If you look at your calendar, which you should be living by, how are you spending that time? And what is the cost of you doing that? Do you earn anything when you're sitting there stapling pieces of paper that you could hire someone else to do? Is it cost effective for you to put together a proposal from a merge document if you could pay someone else to do that so that you can do the things that you aren't good at? That again comes down to asking for help, realizing that you can't do it all, and maybe relinquishing some of the decision-making process. But if that is not a good use of your time, don't do it. <laughs> Speaking of like calendar, and we see Gina here in the chat. So hello, Gina. Thank you for joining us. Keep commenting. Um, with like apps that you love to use and, and different systems or platforms that that you keep you organized, what are some of your favorites that you like that maybe you want to recommend to our viewers and listeners? Oh, 
I am a big fan of anything that will automate my life and not add more complication. Uh, there is a great website called If This Then That, where yes. you can set up, they call them recipes, but if you wanted to save every tweet you ever made into an Excel spreadsheet, for example, you could do that. So really just trying to make it easy for you. And this goes back to what I said before, make things easy for you. And that's different for everyone. I know people who like to write things down. I like to use apps. I'm not a paper person. So whatever it is that is going to help to simplify things. Um, but I also believe in one of my favorite books by David Allen is called Getting Things Done. He says, you've got to either, when something you know comes into your to-do list, you've either got to do it, delete it because it's not relevant, delegate it. I think there's a fourth one, but those are the big ones. <laughs> if, you're, if it's not going to happen right now, schedule a time because otherwise it just becomes a thing that has to get done, not an I need to do this by Thursday thing. Oh my God. I love that. Do it, delete it, or delegate it. Boom. I love that. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Stole it shamelessly from David Allen. Not not a single original thought up here. <laughs> Listen, I, I I look at like stealing as a form of iteration, right? So like st stealing feels negative to me, but iteration feels innovative. And yes. and if you think about it, yes. some of the greatest ideas that have been out there, they started somewhere and they just, you know, you just morph them. You make them your own, yeah. you own them. So yeah, yeah. stealing, iterating, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Um, so we're kind of coming to the point of the show where we flip the script, so to speak, and you ask Mandy a question, then you ask me a question, any question that you'd like to ask us. Um, and we kind of do this towards the, you know, once we're about two thirds of the way through the interview. So we're here now. Who do you want to ask the question to first? And what is the question? Amani, I'll ask you first. <laughs> if if you had not gone down this path to the career that you have now, alternate universe, right? Different, different uh, Marvel universe. What would you be doing in your life? Yeah. Now? If I didn't have the career I would be doing now, hmm, that's a good question. I don't really thought about that. Mm, I guess what comes back is maybe I don't know. That's, that's difficult. Maybe like I would be a chef somewhere because that's what I was thinking about doing at first, but then I was a little too selfish to be cooking for other people. I just want to keep it to a small number. So <laughs> I think maybe it would be the chef. Besides that, I don't know. Maybe like working in sports as like a broadcaster and analyst. I think that would be probably, well, I'll do that one first. That would be the first one, working in sports as a broadcaster analyst, and then number two would be a chef. Okay, okay. Wait, I have I have a follow-up to Amani's answer. Can I, can I do it? We haven't done this ever before. Can I yes, ask a follow-up to Amani's answer? <laughs> I, I don't know that I knew the chef thing about you. So do you cook a lot? And what is your legacy dish? Okay. So I don't cook as much <laughs> as I used to, but I would say I have two okay. legacy dishes. One would be like crab cakes, you know, straight from Maryland. Maryland oh. crab cakes, like a bomb okay. recipe. They're life-changing. And then sweet potato pie. So those are like my two kind of uh, legacy oh. dishes. I call them closers. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, 
it, it drives the ladies crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Usually. And, uh, those would be my two biggest conditions. <laughs> okay, good to know. Jessica, that's good to know for us. Like if we ever are at a potluck, we now we know. Now we know what Amani's going to yeah. bring or hopefully bring. Yeah. We can request it. <laughs> yes, request it. I'll bring it. Over to Mandy. What's your question for Mandy? Same question. Same question for me. Ooh, you know, um, I actually started when I went to college as a, I was an education major at first, and then I switched to communications. Um, so I think I would probably have been a teacher. Um, if you would have asked me of something, which I honestly, I think great salespeople are great teachers. So I still feel like I'm kind of doing that. I'm just not working in a school system um, yet. Maybe I will someday. Um, but when I was a real little girl, I idolized, um, I love that show Facts of Life. Did you see, do you know what show I'm talking about? Facts of Life with Mrs. Garrett. And, there you have Yeah. The Facts, the facts of, of Life. life. Yes, exactly. Yes, I yes. love, I love, that's the show. I love Joe. And I think she was a mechanic or something. And I, early on, I'm like, I want to do whatever Joe's going to do. I thought she was really cool. <laughs> And then later on, I, uh, I, I, I coached cheerleading and gymnastics and uh, dance and stuff. So I always thought like any dancer on a stage was amazing, even though really my target move now is just doing, I just do the robot, which is, you know, I'm not a great dancer. <laughs> so I think like when I was younger, I would be a mechanic. When I was in my, you know, my tween years, I would have just going to be a dancer and then a teacher. That's the, the, any one of those three things or maybe a mix of all those things. Uh, and I might. Later on, when I'm 70, you never know. Okay, all right. Yeah. Good answer. Good reference to the facts of life, too. Yeah, well, okay. you're welcome. This is Garrett. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so back now we're going back to Jessica here. I'm just so like fascinated with your like transition from like from hospitality to like wealth. Like, what was the what was the hardest part of the transition going from, you know, focus, like you came from Southwest to going and working in wealth management. What was the toughest transition and how did you get through that? It was leaving the familiar because I knew rev par index. I knew quoting rooms. I knew square footage of meeting space. I did not feel like I was being challenged or for, for, or fulfilled in a way that was going to give me longevity, even if I could move up a little bit more, what did that mean? Really? I was going to hit a ceiling. So I had an opportunity to go into business for myself, which that was probably the biggest challenge, not getting that, that paycheck every two weeks, but that was what was appealing to me. And when I was considering the transition, I asked people I knew beforehand, hey, what do you think about me doing this? What are your thoughts about this? How do you feel about this topic overall? And I was appalled at some of the answers I was receiving, which go back to the why of, of me being so passionate about it. I spoke to a lot of women, women who said things to me like, I let my husband, father, brother make the decisions for me. I don't want to think about it, so I'm just putting my head in the sand. I don't have someone I feel comfortable talking to about this because there aren't people who look like me and have mm -hmm. the experience that I do. So hearing that, one, I thought, 
is this really a good idea? This is going to be really hard. But for that same reason, that's why I do this. Because there are so few of us that, that are able to meet that need for women in a way that, you know, having that same shared experience. Mm. Okay. Okay. Go ahead, Mandy. So, well, I think being appalled by something that somebody says is always good fuel to do it, to do it your way and do it better. I, I mean, I think I, I think a lot of people, I know a lot of business owners are like, I, I can't stand the way this is in the marketplace. So I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it better. Um, so I actually, I, I'm sad you're appalled, but I love that you're appalled because you're, you're truly making a difference in what you're doing. One of the big turning points for me, and this is on a lot of my social media channels was having a daughter because I thought this is the girl who's going to look up to me and I will be the main female figure in her life. What kind of example am I setting for her? If I'm not going to walk the walk, if I have all these complaints about these injustices, if I can do something to help that and feel at the end of the day, like I'm doing my part and showing her that, that women have to take the lead in order to make this change happen. Well, you know, that's, that's what I'm going to do. So she was a year old when I did this, when I, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to quit that W2 life and go out on my own. Was it great timing? No. Was there going to be better timing? I don't know. So I did. Yeah, because you started powerful. kind of right at the. We were still kind of in the middle of the pandemic, so to speak. You know, we were still things were uncertain. You know, many people were just kind of leaving work and didn't have any idea what they would do next. So you took mm -hmm. the risk then, and now here you're almost what two years later, like a year and a half later, almost two years later. Yeah, you're about a year and a half, and there there are plenty of people now who I feel like in their W two job are thinking this is risky. So, yeah, <laughs> especially in hospitality, yeah, in, in their regular job for a big company, a name brand company. So there's risk everywhere. Do I want to have more control over that risk or not? That's what it came down to. Hmm. There's lots of risk out there because uh, as we see all the job cuts happening and everything going on, like uh, certainty is not certain anymore, as they say. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to figure out, like, for you, like, in addition to, like, your speaking goals, like, you want to be on 20 stages this year, mm -hmm. how, how do you set up your goals with your business? If you're able to share with us, like, what, what are kind of some of the goals with your business, and how did you come up with that goal, and how do you measure success on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? This is fundamental to any sort of, you know, account management or client facing situation, whether it's the work I do where people in hospitality, and that is you have to track and document everything. What are the things that you're doing, whether that's phone calls, emails, proposals, site tours. And then based off of that, again, quantifying what is, what is the output that's going to give me so if I have a goal of achieving a certain dollar amount of revenue, how do I back that out so that I know the activity I have to do, the controllables? I can't control whether or not someone might say yes. I can't control how much money they might want to, to part with, but I can control how many times I pick up the phone or send an email or send a text 
or go on a podcast or reach out to a friend and say, hey, can you introduce me? And those are the things that are usually the first ones we throw out the window. But we've got to be accountable to ourselves. We are the controllable factor. So my goals are all based on the activity and the effort. My hope, my theory, my historical data says that's what's going to happen if I do all that. I want to know some of the things that you did at the beginning of running your business that you don't do anymore. Some of the things where you were like, oh, I got to do this. And now you're like, I don't, I don't have to do that. Like, what are what are what is some of that transition for you? A lot of it was in, in the nitty gritty details of trying to micromanage the process rather than saying, maybe this isn't important. Maybe I do need to just pay someone to do my social media for me. Maybe I do need to. I, I, that's that's where all of it comes from. I see so many times business because I, I work with business owners now. Their their business has such a slow start because they're trying to micromanage, and they're also not keeping separation of church and state, meaning that their business finances and their personal finances are separate. Mm. That's the big yucky for a lot of people because then it's how can you tell if this is working if you just got messy stuff everywhere. Mm-hmm. So have, have it separate. That's a good one. Um, Amani, can I, I'm going to ask, can I ask one more? And then I know you've got your three favorite questions. Can I ask one more? Sure. Jessica, yes. so, all right. So speaking of messy, messy stuff, can we talk a little bit about women and finances and you know, women being women staying in relationships they longer than they have to because they're afraid to get out because of finances or uh, 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 families that dangle the wealth carrot in front of women and they are in toxic familial relationships because of finances. Like what advice do you have for women that are staying in a situation would know the better what it is because of finance? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So I, I'm I'm not going to call it advice, but I will share my beliefs about oh, those right. things. Right. <laughs> See, now the, the SEC is coming to my door, Amani. I was like, my eyes like I'm looking up. Who's going first? Who's going first? Okay. I'm, I'm going to get Sorry. on my soapbox again here because this goes this this ties into a lot of societal conversations about how we're supporting women in the workplace or when they're on maternity leave or, or things like that equitable pay. But unfortunately, many women, people in general, but especially women, don't have as many choices to, you know, leave bad situations because they either don't have insight into finances or they don't have any influence over those finances. And it's unfortunate because, you know, if you're if you're a stay-at-home parent caring for children, you're doing a lot of unpaid labor. There was actually a statistic that said $180,000 a year is what you'd have to pay someone to outsource all of the things that a stay-at-home parent does. So oh, wow. it, it comes down to education. It comes down to equitable pay. It comes down to, you know, having these transparent conversations at home, in the home. And that's a lot of things to ask at once. So it's not going to happen in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Um But a lot of the work, and we were talking about this backstage, a lot of the work I do is with people who have non-traditional family structures because 
you've got to plan differently. You've got to think about things differently to make sure that the people you love are cared for. People don't like to think about that. It's not, it's not always a comfy conversation, but it's an important one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I bet. We had Gina ask a quick question in the chat. She wants to know if you currently have someone managing your Instagram. So I have, they're not managing it, but I have a company that shares posts for me so that I have regular content out there. I give them photos and they rework some of the language. Um, I do a lot of the posts on, on my own as well, but just to have some consistency, they're pulling content for me. It's great, great value. Um, and to me, it just makes sense to have stuff out there consistently. On, at least on LinkedIn and Instagram. Do you have a favorite platform that you kind of love to spend time with and you kind of value more than others? Oh, no, because I think they are all used so differently. The audience is different. The messaging is different. The tone even. In a perfect world, I have different tone of my posts and all mm-hmm. different channels. I don't have the time for that. I don't have the budget for that, but I would... T- talk to people differently on Instagram than I would on LinkedIn. The conversion of clients on certain channels is also not there. So I'm posting, but I'm not getting true, you know, ROI there. But my industry, again, is regulated. So a lot of my content goes through a filter to make sure that it's compliant. Um, So that's why it's a lot of broad strokes. I don't get into a lot of the nitty gritty, but um, I think social media is one of the things that I hear from business owners that sucks them in the most because you start posting for your business and then you start scrolling and then you start shopping and then you're watching the reels. And did you do anything (laughs) for your business? No, that's the first thing you should give to somebody else. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The scrolling is, is, is the death knell there. Um, one of my favorite questions, you know, and you know, many, somebody, somebody, on a different, someone was scolding me that I should stop asking the question because it's too repetitive, but I disagree. I love what? my questions. I love your questions too. Let's scold I'm, that person. I love your questions, Imani. Please be. <laughs> Jessica, if we could go back to 2000, early 2000s, I won't say the date, when you're leaving Fordham and you're walking down the street after you've graduated and say you run across yourself now, what advice would you give your younger self who's just about to enter kind of the professional world based on what you know now? Be kinder to yourself. Hmm. And tell us why you say that. Like most people in sales roles, you become hyper fixated on your own credibility, on your own performance, on your own um, ability to to you know connect with people and and lead them to what you, you know, to, to what you're trying to accomplish with them. And that's really hard. I'm probably my, my own biggest critic. And that will always be something that I carry with me. It never feels like enough. I can have plenty of other people tell me that I've done a great job and that I've accomplished things, but my, my own voice in here says, yeah, but there's still a hundred other things you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, you know, look at what this person's doing. Look, you know, look at, look at all of these things that you didn't achieve. That's so hard. That's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Self-graders. We're all self-graders. Yeah. Yes. Over 
to you, Manny, for the final, final question. <laughs> oh, that's a lot of pressure. Um, okay. Handle it. <laughs> <laughs> final, final question. Uh, not advice, but your opinion of what parents can say to their kids today about money. I know we talked about swaps and trades, but like, yeah. what's a message <laughs> pa parents can parents can talk to their kids about today about money? The numbers on their bank account does not equal their value as a person, because that I come up with with adults all the time. We think that the zeros in there mean we're a good person or not. So that's a big one. Mm. And um, the second is to ask questions and having that open dialogue, encouraging your kids to be a part of that conversation. When they're at the store, buy me a banana. This is how much a banana costs. If you're not going to eat this banana, can you tell what I talk about in my house? If you're not going to eat this banana and we're buying the banana and the banana is going bad in three days, are you going to pay for the banana? I mean, not, not that aggressive, but you have to talk about it because if you don't, they're going down the rabbit hole of reading this stuff on the internet or, or wherever, and it's not serving them because by the time they get to me, they've got all of this jumbled stuff. My friend told me this. I read this in a book. I saw this on TikTok. And the stuff I hear is just wild. <laughs> but the Reddit warriors know everything, right? They've, they've like <laughs> owned their crap. Don't get into the mud with them. No. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. great. Wow. Well, you know, we could ask you more and more questions and get more and more advice and ask you for more things, but we'll have to pause here for the interview and have it to be continued because as you're sharing more information, um, just even what you just said about how the number of zeros in your bank account doesn't reflect who you are as a person, like that's a pretty profound statement that we want to dig into next time. So we'll pause here for now and just say, you know, just thank you very much for speaking with us. If you're in the chat, that are listening or watching, make sure you follow Jessica. We have her link up there in the chat and on the screen. And um, just keep, you know, educating everyone on all the benefits and the value of creating wealth and managing your money properly. Just keeping an advocate for us within our industry. Thank you. Love seeing both of you. And thank you again for always being such huge supporters of mine because that's, that's the net worth, right? That's my net worth in here is you guys supporting yes. so thank you oh well awesome. thanks for making time yes. today we'd love seeing you thanks for your advice and everything yes so we'll give you a round of applause and we'll go back to put you in the green room momentarily and we'll be back in a moment here awesome. so another just thank you for tuning in to adventures in business don't forget to rate and review our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening it on and don't forget to share it with your friends and anybody that might be as much of the business nerds as Amani and I are. See you next time for another captivating interview.